principles that Jesus taught, and we're going to bring it out of Luke, the 15th chapter. I'm just going to read, there's uh, three parables in this particular chapter, and I'm just going to talk about the first two. What did I miss? Oh, well. Anyhow, and I just had to give it a title, so the title I wanted to give to this particular teaching is Rejoicing With Me. And we're going to talk about that out of Luke, the 15th chapter. So if you'll turn there, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for your word. Holy Spirit, take charge of the service that all things would work to your honor and glory. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about souls. And even Jesus didn't let things sidetrack him in his teaching when the opportunities came to teach these particular parables. They had points to them that were important because they needed to be uh, explained to those folks that didn't have the spiritual guidance they needed in the first century. But Lord, we're not any more, if you would, sharp on the spiritual things in our world today than they were back then. We still need your spiritual guidance and your spiritual direction in our life to help us be the people that will rejoice with you when things come our way from your holy hand. So guide us this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to read in Luke 15, I want to read verses 1 to 10. And it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than ninety-nine, that ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver? That's in our, did you notice the, that's in the, uh, the joke in your bulletin. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she has found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found, that, found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there shall be joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now those are two different uh, parables, and of course then the next parable, I'm not going to teach on it, I may refer to it later on, but it's about the prodigal son. Most of you probably know that one, probably more so than the two I just read. But here we go, back in verse 1, I want you to see Jesus here is getting a crowd gathering around him because they drew near unto him, it says there in verse 1. And he spoke 
to those that were attentive to hear what he had to say. He had a way of just, if you would, sitting down and because of his reputation and his uh, uh, attitude or his spirit about him had a way of drawing a crowd to hear what he was going to be saying. Now the verse uh, there that it quotes and said, all the publicans and sinners, how would you like to get to preach to all the publicans and all the sinners anywhere? any county, any city, any group. When you want to preach, sometimes you need to call out the group, if you would, and preach to them. Now, Jesus didn't say, hey, I want to gather all the publicans and sinners because I got something I got to warn you guys about or tell you about. He didn't do that, did he? Who labeled them the publicans and the sinners that came to hear Jesus. Well, you read the next verse, you'll find out. But you know, when it says all publicans and sinners, that could be a pretty large crowd. There's an awful lot of sinners in this world. Now, we know how many publicans we have. What are publicans? Those are tax collectors. Amen? And they're busy in Washington right now trying to add 87,000 more IRS tax collectors just for us. Of course, they, they tell us they're going to do one thing, but reality tells us uh, uh, there's going to be more to it than the, what they're telling us about those folks. So when we see those things and know that the word publican means tax collectors and the word sinner still means sinner. Amen? So that's the group that he's talking to here. And in today's society, I would say that's a pretty big crowd he would have had if it's all. Okay? All's how many? Oh, we've heard all that before, have we not? Uh, there was, there's a, I've heard speakers that wanted to put the word all in there and tell you all, and I that didn't work. So anyway, uh, that's not exactly. The everyday Bible on that thought says... Uh, just a little different. It says the tax collectors and sinners all came to listen to Jesus. So you get a little different perspective when you write it in that kind of way. In either quote of scripture, the, the word all doesn't become totally inclusive. That everyone is all. Did I miss something? Oh, I missed a cough drop? Okay. All right. We'll go ahead and cough. Anyhow, the word all, was, as we were uh, told by some, does not mean everything is inclusive. Sometimes it does. Amen? I've got to tell you, I had a swarm of yellow jackets above my front door in a nest about that big around. We went after them, and I told the guy to kill them all. Now, how many did I want killed? I wanted all of them killed. Now, it didn't work out because there was a few strays that probably weren't in the nest that night. They were probably the, the rebels of the crowd that went out on the night and spent the night out somewhere else in somebody else's nest. And then uh, when we tore out their nest, they came back to visit, but the, their nest was gone. But it, there's... Uh, such a thing as when the word all is used, it doesn't necessarily mean um, 
there's no exceptions to that. And even if it included all the taxpayers or all the tax collectors, man, we could put a number on that. We know how many tax collectors they are. We could just Google that. I'd have Debbie Google it. She'd tell me how many people work for the IRS. Amen. We could figure that out and nothing flat. It'd be a pretty big crowd. But when you say all the sinners, wow. Yeah, that'd be a big crowd just on Church Street. Nonetheless, uh, we got to move on. Even the Pharisees probably could put a number on how many sinners there are around us because that's all they wanted to focus on is everybody that was a sinner. And who was that? Everybody that wasn't a Pharisee. Huh, isn't that something? I know there are people, and I've even heard it said of some people, if you don't go to our church, you're probably not going to heaven. You know? There are people that say if you don't go to our denomination, uh, you probably don't stand a chance either. Uh, and uh, you're, because you're a sinner, because you don't understand the truth that we can teach. Well, uh, I can't find that in Scripture, but I've got to tell you, when it comes to Pharisees and uh, scribes, that they have a way of putting people down for what they think they should know and really don't. Amen? So it is uh, an emphatic number that in verse number 2, the Pharisees, out of jealousy and out of trying to mock Jesus by saying it was an unacceptable crowd that Jesus was talking to. They just weren't the kind of people they should have, be having church with. Well, I got to tell you something. If it weren't for sinners, the church would probably be out of work. Yeah. Amen? If everybody was saved, if everybody was a, well, he uses the word tax collector or the uh, publicans and the Pharisees, they, they use the, the word publican or tax collector because everybody looked down on them. So when they include publicans and sinners, that's kind of what you might say the off-scouring of the earth as far as people are concerned. You know, there are people that other people look down on and say, well, they're just not fit or they, they don't stand a chance. No, as long as there's a breath of life in them, as long as their heart is still beating, there is a chance they could make heaven their home. Wouldn't that be cool? That's the uh, operation of the church. And for example... I've heard people say that of the mega churches, I'm talking about the churches that have thousands of people in their parking lots on Sunday, um, and uh, they have these large gatherings. If they were all dedicated Christians, we'd live in a different society than we do. Amen? I heard it said one time, when, you remember I brought it up in Sunday school, when um, Billy Graham came to Paul Brown Stadium, and held a weekend revival there. Amen. We took the time to get involved in that, and oh man, the thousands that went forward to make a commitment to Christ, and a couple weeks later, as the wind blew over it, it kind of went its way. Amen. I did hear a testimony of a guy that was a coroner in Los Angeles County, and in Los Angeles County, they have... In the corners, they have to go out and find 
shootings and murders and everything. Uh, you know, I didn't know O.J. was that busy, but they went out and found all these bodies, tagged them, and, and had to find homes to them. They were, a lot of them were homeless people, and even the uh, um, drug problem, and, you know, they, and he's, they went and did a TV interview of the coroner that was in charge of uh, Los Angeles County coroner situation, and he says, how many dead bodies are you trying to find who they are, figure them out, get everything, paperwork all done on all of them? He said, we do about 30 a day. He said, wow, that's a lot. When you think are seven days a week, that's 200 and some people. Yeah, he said, that's what comes through here on average. Now, there are days it's higher and lower. He says, have you ever had a day when none come through? He said, well, you know, we did have one week, it was a long time ago, one week where we had absolutely zero for the whole week in this morgue. The guy said, when was that? He said, it was the week Billy Graham held a revival in the Los Angeles Coliseum. Huh, what about that? Well, nonetheless, uh, there are people that look at the congregation size and think, man, if they were all Christians, they could turn the world upside down. Well, I've got news for you. Jesus and his 12 turned the world upside down, and they weren't considered a mega church or a large church. It isn't how big the church is, it's how big the heart of that church is that makes a difference in the community where that church resides. Amen? I'd say the same thing about the people that say about the flood in Florida, it destroyed all the homes. Well, if you went down there, you'd find it didn't destroy all of them. Amen. In Florida, it's not exactly 100% flat as it can be. It has hills and ups and downs and curves, and, and there's probably high spots and low spots. And the guys that build on the high spots, their houses are probably wet, maybe even wind damaged, but it's not like it destroyed all of Florida. Amen. If it had destroyed it all, there wouldn't be nobody left there. They just uh, closed the door at the, at the at, uh, Georgia line and called it a day. But people use the word all and they use it way too extravagant in what it's trying to accomplish. Sometimes the word all in a context is so exaggerated that it's not even sure what it's trying to put out, but it just means usually a bunch at least. There's a whole lot of them. Amen? Haven't I told you a million times about that exaggerations? Amen. Well, when we get to verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had a way of numbering everybody. They had a pigeonhole to put everybody in that they wanted to express their jealousy and envy because they couldn't draw that kind of a crowd. I don't know when they had services at the temple where these Pharisees who are, the word Pharisee actually means teacher in some form or another, teachers of the law, and they were supposed to be there. And of course the scribes were the ones that wrote the the translated everything that went on and recorded everything that went on there. And so they were supposed to be the teachers and the ones that had all the wisdom to keep everybody together. 
But when you listen to the teachers of law of the law, it was their way of complaining when they talked about what Jesus was doing with this crowd that was around him. Also, they found fault with the fact that Jesus not only received a bunch of these heathens, but he'd even eat with them. Huh, how about that? You know, I've had people say they saw me at such and such a restaurant and told me that's no place for a Christian to go. Huh, because they served alcohol there. Well, there was a, in our society, if I never went and set foot in a place that sold alcohol, I couldn't even go Christmas shopping. I couldn't go grocery shopping. I couldn't go to half of the restaurants. I think even Cracker Barrel now serves alcohol. Bob Evans. Hey, Bob Evans, yeah. Hey, where are we going to eat? You know, what's going to come down to, you're going to have to buy hot dogs and put them on a stick if you want to go somewhere where they're not serving alcohol. But that's not the point. The point is, I don't have to buy it. I don't have to have anything to do with it. And uh, we were uh, out to dinner, and of course, they, they, when the waitress comes, uh, many a times, they'd say, would you like an offer? Of course, I don't even listen to I know, Diet Coke will do, or water, or that's sufficient, uh, whatever we want. It's a kind of a thing where they um, make fun of people because of where they eat or what they consume. But many other scriptures we could read were these groups of critics called the scribes and Pharisees found fault with not only the crowd around Jesus, but with his disciples. And that's not a big crowd. That's only 12. They didn't even fast enough, according to the Pharisees. They didn't even pray enough, according to the Pharisees or any other outward show of spirituality. Of course, the Pharisees, you know what they'd do. They'd stand on the corner and shout their lungs out while they were praying so everybody would see them. There's scripture for that. You know that. They say, well, how's come John, John the Baptist taught his disciples to fast, Jesus, but you don't teach your disciples to fast? And he had an answer for them. They don't have to fast. I'm here. Now, when I leave, guess what? They'll learn to fast pretty quick. Amen? Because they'll know it has to be done and they'll learn it on their own, if you would. Of course, they didn't uh, wash their hands before they ate and the Pharisees found fault with that. There's so many outward things that the Pharisees could find fault with that they wanted to belittle those that listened to Jesus in his uh, teaching. So with all this attitude working against Jesus... He settled into his teaching mode in verse number three. And he started with a story and called it a parable. And he makes this story um, for the persons that are there so that everyone in the crowd could understand. He says, what man of you, in verse three, the everyday, suppose one of you, all right? And uh, uh, it could be a different kind of introduction to that, but suppose um, one of you had a hundred sheep. I'd say it this way in when I say, how many of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them was lost, would you just chalk it up to bad 
luck? Would you chalk it up to what? You're the shepherd of those hundred. You are the one supposed to be watching out for them. And if one of them strays, that's your fault. You got an obligation to do something about that, is what Jesus is teaching. So if you had a hundred sheep and one strays, what would your next course of action be? Huh? How are you going to get that sheep that's gone astray back into the flock? After all, it's the nature of the predators around sheep to try to find the sheep that strays from the flock and attack that one. Did you know how that's how it works? Did you know that? Oh, you guys don't watch Mountain Man, do you? Amen. They always find when there's a flock of anything, whether it's moose or caribou or goats or you name it, the predators, the coyotes and the bears, they don't just attack, go down and attack the whole flock. They try to get it to where one strays from the flock and they attack it and that's where they have their smorgasbord. Amen? So that's how they survive. But they don't want to attack the whole flock. If they attacked the whole flock, the whole flock would run off. And yeah, maybe they'd catch one for a smorgasbord today, but what about next week? Ah, oh, we got to leave the flock alone and just take the ones that kind of stray from the flock. Every predator works that kind of a scenario. Amen? So that one sheep that strayed, if you would, he's the one that's in danger, not the whole herd. And so the good shepherd, if you would, or any shepherd, would want to be focused on finding that one that somehow or other drifted away from the crowd. Amen? Well, the enemy is successful in his, his destructive plan. He will be back in the future and try his same tactics again some other time. But a good shepherd watches not only for the enemy of the sheep, but he watches over all the stray sheep that becomes victims of those predators. Amen? And when he finds one straying, he goes, gets it, puts it in his arms, on his shoulder. That's just the way the scripture story is told here by Jesus. Um, he, he does whatever he has to to bring that wayward one back to the flock. Amen? With that success finally happening to that sheep in verse 5, he lays it on his shoulder. That's love and compassion. Again, showing him that he cares. Then he returns. And what's he do after he returns in verse 5? He returns rejoicing. Amen. Job well done. I don't care where you work. When things are difficult and, and you have to really knuckle down and get this all to pan out and get it, when it's done and you're successful, in the back of your mind, you kind of say, glad I got that handled. Amen? Yeah. Nothing worse for me than to go through all the things I need to go through on a lawnmower than pull the rope and it don't do nothing. I got to start all over with the beginning, the scratch from A to Z again and see what I missed or what happened. Well, with this sheep, 
uh, he was rejoicing that it had a successful ending. Now when I fix the mower and pull the rope and it starts and runs like a brand new one, ah, whew, another one behind us, right? Well, that's a rejoicing time because you were successful. Mission accomplished is what the shepherd would say when he brings the wayward lamb back into the fold. It's one thing to experience the joy of seeing that lost sheep come home, and yet in the scripture, Jesus went a little bit farther. He said, it was one thing for me to rejoice for finding the lamb, if you want to say it that way, or you to find a lost lamb and bring it back to the fold. But when you bring it back, what would you want to do? Oh, I want to call the neighbors. I'm going to call the family and friends. I'm going to call everybody I can say, rejoice, let's party. He's home. Everything's great. Hallelujah, right? That's what he wanted to do. So in verse 6, the shepherd uses this joy-filled time and comes back, brings that one back home, and his friends and neighbors then join in. And he says to them, rejoice with me. Amen? So when he found that lost sheep, now it's back to safety. All is well that ends well. You ever heard that? It's time to focus on the results and not the past hardships and difficulties. Sometimes when victory happens, it doesn't hurt to take a deep breath and say, ah, that sure feels good. It's time to celebrate. Amen? So when Jesus got this all handled as far as finding that sheep and bringing it back, then Jesus changes the story from a lost sheep to a lost sinner in verse 7. That way the Pharisees could get the picture. The focus again was on the joy of seeing one come back out of the wilderness and come back to the fold or to the church. That's what we need to be focused on if we're going to be the shepherds God wants us to be over his flock. Amen? Had the one lost sheep or sinner not come back, what should the other 90 and 9 be doing? They should be carrying on the work of the flock, number one. Even though someone leaves, you may not notice they're even gone. But the shepherd will probably know, or somebody will hear about it. But the 99 need to keep on keeping on, if you would. Second, they should be carrying a burden for that lost one, that one wayward one, the one that has been uh, deceived into thinking everything's okay out there in this world when there are those that are uh, waiting as predators to prey on that lost one. They should be praying, number three, praying for the shepherd's guidance to reach that lost lamb or sinner. Amen. That's the church's job. And number four, they should be getting ready to receive the lost one when it does come back home. Amen. 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 I've seen too many in my years of pastoring, whether here or somewhere else, where someone did stray 
And when they came back, somebody sat on the pit back there on the pew with a chip on his shoulder saying, who's he think he is? Huh. Well, that's not the way it should work. Of course, you see that in a greater way, um, if you would, in the prodigal son. When the one son came back, the other son had a chip on his shoulder. That, don't let that be in the church that we uh, are trying to build here at Faith Christian Fellowship. I believe one of the most joyful times of our service should be when the Holy Spirit is convicting sinners and they respond with repentance and then the shepherd and the flock can rejoice in the victory over the one that's come back to the fold and they should, each one, do all they can to help the one that at one time or another had strayed away because that's where we all came from. All of us at one time were on the outside looking in. Amen? So when we get one from the outside to come in, let's welcome them with open arms. Don't forget to smile. Don't forget to say, man, I'm glad you're here. I'm so much uh, happier now that you're here. Everything's going to work out better for you. Amen? We need to help the ones that do come uh, feel right at home with the ones that were here all the time. They should feel just as comfortable as the one that strayed as the 99 that didn't. Amen? So we need to find out uh, the, how they made their way back home and see if we can't keep them here at home where the safety is away from the predators of this world. Amen? None of us were born saved. All of us had to come through the same knothole that Jesus prepared when he built his church. We've all had our lost experience. And we strayed from the safety of the shepherd and from his loving arms. But once we feel his love touching us, when he carries us on his shoulders back home, the peace and joy not only was good enough for us as individuals, but it is such a great time of encouragement for the entire flock. Amen. Amen. When someone gets saved, you should be shouting in the highest, even if you didn't have nothing to do with it, you just were there to witness it. But those that had a hand in it, they shout from the highest steeples, if you would. And they want everybody to come. Rejoice with me. As soon as Jesus finishes this particular parable about the lost sheep, and even the critics are standing around saying, Amen. Even the tax collectors say, Amen, that was a good teaching. Even the sinners say, Hallelujah, I like that teaching. Verse 8, he goes right into the next parable. The lost coin. This one is about what woman? Well, if you notice anything about the Pharisees and the scribes, none of them were women. In their culture, women don't have the status that men had. Amen? I got to tell you something. They've come a long way, baby. They've learned a lot over the centuries. And there are women now that can do a great work for the kingdom of God. So here he's talking about a woman, but let's put ourselves in this particular parable. This woman or you, if you had 10 coins, 
and you lost one. What would you be thinking? Ah, oh, I got them lined up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh-oh. Should be one on that dust spot on my dresser that's not there. There's a coin missing. Oh, what am I going to do? Once she's aware that one of those coins are gone, it becomes her entire mission to find that coin. First thing she does, turn up the lights. Scripture says she lit a candle. Light a candle. Get more light in this situation. Amen. I don't know how dirty your house is, but if you lost a coin in it because it was too dark, the first thing you'd do is turn up the lights, wouldn't you not? Amen. So you turn up the light. What does the light do? Well, it enhances the chance of finding the, whole, the lost coin. Amen. I went to a, a shower yesterday, and it was almost over. We were carrying things to the car, and I just happened to look down at the ground, and there was a sparkle from the sun or the angle of the sun off of this shiny thing on the ground. And I looked, and it was a brand new penny. How about that? Somebody had lost a coin. Well, I knew I was going to be preaching this message, and I thought, I'm not going to pass that coin up. I went over, and guess what? There was a dirty, ugly penny right beside it. So I picked them both up. I took them home and put them in my blessing jar. Amen? I'm not going to let it just say, ah, it's only a penny. It's no big deal. Amen. I always pick up every coin I see on the ground because I know it says on it, in God we trust. And I do trust in God. Well, I picked up those two pennies. How about that? Now, you know why I saw them? Because the sun lit up the area and it glistened off of that shiny copper looking round thing. And I thought, what is that? And I thought maybe it was a stone or you know, something shiny. I looked, and it happened to be currency, a coin. So I took advantage and picked it up. Then it says the second thing she did was she sweeps the possible area the lost coin could have possibly gotten into. Amen? You know, you ever lose something and you look high and low and you just can't find it? What you start doing? Start moving things around. If I lose something in my office, man, I have as many piles as I got down there, it's going to take me quite a while to find it. Because I got a pile here and a pile there, and if I start moving them all and sweeping around all of them, I'm going to be there a while. Amen? So I try not to lose anything. I know one, one uh, afternoon at home, we were sitting at the dinner table, and I was eating a bowl of soup, and Bonnie was standing beside me, and she had just talked on her phone to somebody that was laying on the table and hit hang up. And it wasn't three seconds. She jumped up and looked around and said, where's my phone? I don't know where my phone is. And I said, Bonnie, it's right there. You just talked on it. Sometimes we can lose them in the weirdest places. I'm just glad she didn't get the broom out and start sweeping off the table while I was eating my soup. Amen. But she needed to find that phone. Amen. Well, it's the same scenario. So she looked diligently, the scripture says, and she looked high and low, and she went into the cracks and the corners of the room, and she swept the whole area. She didn't leave anything uncovered 
until she found the coin. Once she found it, it wasn't a, a job any longer. The joy comes uh, when you find the coin that was lost and put it back in its proper place. Now, I got to tell you something. It was a coin, and it had some value. But probably the value of the coin when it's lost is zero. But when the coin is found, then it takes its value back on based on what the coin uh, is worth in its uh, usage and, and doing what it's supposed to be doing. Once it's found, it takes on a true value and returns into being a coin again. It's no longer something that's lost, something to be forgotten, and something to forget about and move on. But then in verse number 9 in this parable, just like number 6 in the first parable, it says it becomes a time of gathering friends and neighbors and a time for rejoicing over the lost that is found. Again, in verse number 10, as in the previous one in verse 7, it says again, the joy is returning after the victory of the one that was lost has been found. You can compare those two parables and they have a lot of likeness in them as far as rejoicing and putting together some kind of celebration over the lost being found. So whether you see yourself as a stray sheep that went on an exploration that took a wrong turn from the flock safety and fell into dangerous world of predators, or whether you see yourself in control of others that handled you carelessly and you fell through the cracks between their fingers, either way, the joy comes when the lost gets back to its proper place with the collection or the group under the proper handling of its true owner. Take note. The lost sheep was maybe in a physical location some distance away. But the lost coin, she knew it was still in the house. She didn't have to call in a search party. She just needed to turn up the light and get out the broom. Amen? The focus is not on what it takes to find the lost. The focus is on finding the lost and bringing them to safety. Whether it's far or whether it's near, it's still just the lost part of it that has to be brought back by careful searching and loving handling until the joy of its return can be celebrated with neighbors and friends. Well, if you read the rest of chapter 15 in Luke, again, it, be, it becomes the, the uh, parable of the prodigal son. Here a man had two sons, and you know the story. Although the word prodigal is not in the Bible, theologians added that to it, and your Bible probably in the side margin says prodigal right there, but the word prodigal is not in this. But the, the parable 
uh, the, of the prodigal son? Well, that'll have to stay for another time and another teaching. But I want you to notice that Jesus taught the first parable about somebody that had a hundred and lost one. Then he taught a parable about somebody that had ten and lost one. Then he taught a parable about a man that had two and lost one. It doesn't matter how many you had. If you lose one, it's important you find it. Go after it. Amen? So when it all works out, all three of these parables focus on the return of the one that comes back to the rightful place and the joy and the rejoicing that comes with that return. I want to have us as a rejoicing church because I want us to reach out and find those that are wayward, those that are sinners, those that are lost, that need to come back to the fold of God. Amen? For us, that's waiting on the return of the ones that are lost, and we need to make sure we just don't get caught up in being the same old, same old. Come to church, go through the motions, don't get anything accomplished per se as it appears. We need to make sure that we do what we should be doing. For the good shepherd, we need to be praying like that lamb that's lost was ours. Amen? For the, the lady in the house, we need to clean out the clutter that covers up the coin that slipped through our fingers. Amen? We need to pray and wait like a father that loves his son so much that the son can feel the love of his father even in a foreign country. Amen. Let's get out there. Let's don't be the, the same old, same old week after week, but let's get out there and do what we can to find the lost and bring them home to safety of Father's house. Now, if you're the lost one this morning, come on home. We're waiting. We're ready to rejoice. The scripture says even heaven and all the heavenly angels are waiting to rejoice your total return to home and safety. It's all about being right with God. No matter where you've been or what mistakes you've made or whatever has come your way or whatever predators have attracted you to go away from the flock. You need to come back home, find the safety of home, and rejoice with those that are home that are glad to see you. And then when we gather in that way, you have a testimony that might reach some other wayward one. Or you might be able to tell us how you strayed and now we can use your testimony to find someone else that was uh, brought to that strayed position in their life by the predator or the enemy of their soul. And we can then reach out and be the loving shepherd, the clean housewife, or even the father that waited on his prodigal son, and then we can be the church God wants us to be. But remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let's